You are listening to Rouge, White, and Blue, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Rouge, White, and Blue CFL podcast. My name is Oz Davis. I'll be your co-host for, I guess, 2019, but specifically this show. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe Pritchard. Joe, Happy New Year. How's it going? Happy New Year to you. It is going well. Uh, the only thing that could be better right now is if the CFL season were a little bit closer than it is right now. <laughs> Man, you already got the tunnel vision, huh? Uh <laughs> Let me ask you this, Joe, before we get started. Um, okay, did you make any New Year's resolutions, and have you broken them yet? Why would I need to make any resolutions? Don't you like me the way I am? Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I always want to give that option. Or are you perfect already? Um, well, I wouldn't say right. that, but... <laughs> Too good to improve? <laughs> eh, more like not willing to. Right, there you go. Laziness is not actually a virtue. Joining us for the inaugural podcast of 2019 on the Rouge, White, and Blue here is, hmm, let's see, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to do this description according to his Twitter bio. So today we're talking with a nerd writer and a member of Hashtag The Resistance. Uh, among his favorite things are Mary, that's M A. R-Y, not M-A-R-R-Y or M-E-R-R-Y. Uh, animals, Batman, the Ramones, ACDC football, and football. Hey, I like most of those things myself. Joining us is Scott Adamson. Scott, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing tonight? Oh, hey, thanks for asking. Not bad. Not bad. Um, I just wanted to talk a little shop, Scott, before we start on uh, Canadian football and all things CFL. But uh, your website, AdamsonMedia.com, describes you as having worked in print media, a.k.a. newspapers, which, rumor has it, may actually be dead uh, for 30 years. Uh, I did 22 myself. Uh, What what papers did you work for, or, or were you just syndication? Uh, no, actually, I started for a daily newspaper in Talladega, Alabama, back in 1987. Wow. Uh, wow. Moved on to the uh, Birmingham Post-Herald, which is a daily newspaper, okay. obviously, in Birmingham. Uh, had another stop in Alabama before I moved to a paper in South Carolina in 2006 and worked until, what was it, 2016 or whatever. Whenever I hit the 30-year mark, I said, yeah, I'm done. So uh, oh, okay. I just went the uh, went the newspaper retirement route. Decided just to, to write for fun on my own website, so I could actually write about things I wanted to write about. Yeah, yeah, excellent, excellent. I, I thought you were going to tell me it's because the paper went under. <laughs> so that well, that's most of them will. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. It's positive that you can get out on your own terms. Though. Yeah, it got to the point of I mean, obviously, thirty years covers a lot of ground, but you know, by the end, it was just you know. They're limping to the finish line. You hate to see it because I think they're important, but just the medium has, has changed so much that it's man. If you work for a daily newspaper now, you good luck. Yeah, you're really going to need it. You're wondering if you should go into the office every morning. I'm sure 
it also says on your website that uh, you've covered everything from the NFL to the Masters Golf Tournament. But uh, I got to ask, man, you're out there in SEC country. How'd you get uh, connected to the game that we know and love called the CFL? Well, that's, uh, you know, I sort of accidentally discovered the CFL back in the 70s. I'm, I'm an old guy. I, was, I turned 58 on, on December 31st. So oh, I started wow. watching football in the 60s and uh, actually became a really big fan in, in the late 60s. But in the early 70s, growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, uh, the, CB, the local CBS affiliate in the summer would show truncated CFL games. Wow. I think like it was on a Sunday night or something. It was just like a, you know, an, an hour highlight sizzle reel or something. And I was just fascinated by it because, first of all, I mean, it, by the late 60s, I was just absolutely obsessed with football. <laughs> and I didn't really know anything about the CFL, but then when I saw this exotic game from exotic Canada, which let's face it, if you're from Birmingham, Alabama, and you're a kid, <laughs> Canada's pretty exotic. But to me, the thing that drew me in were the rules. I just thought, you know, the, the three downs, the wide field, the 12 players to a side, the 20-yard deep end zone, that, that just fascinated me. I thought those are the greatest rules in the world. And it just, it hooked me. And I have never, you know, if anything, my fandom and support of the league has just gotten stronger because I've gotten older. I mean, I, I absolutely love CFL. So, so actually, you were probably following the game when they did CFL USA. I mean, did that impact? Um, I guess you're basically in the South. Did that impact at all? I mean, were people oh, talking did, about Shreveport I, football? <laughs> hey, no, I was working. I was actually working for a daily newspaper when we had the Birmingham Barracudas. So I had to oh, right. town okay. team to cover right. at that time. And, yeah, that was when the Barracudas came to town, which was a horrible, stupid nickname for a team <laughs> Birmingham, Alabama. That, that, that's the only real negative. You know, when I heard the CFL come to Birmingham, I was thrilled doing the name of the Cudas. That's just absurd. But I was, you know, having been a veteran of all these failed pro leagues that had come and gone in Birmingham, yeah. this was one that excited me because I thought, well, the CFL's been around for a while. It's got legs. And a lot of my fellow sports writers, they just kind of rolled their eyes when, when, you know, Birmingham got a team. But I was the one guy that was, you know, willing to go on the road and evangelize for it because I thought, this is great. You know, I, I couldn't have asked for anything more than to have a CFL team in my hometown. And, of course, we all know what happened with the Great American Experiment. That was a, <laughs> that was, that was a sad time for me to go from, I believe, Birmingham's first home game they drew close to 40,000. Their last home game yeah. was something like 2,000. So. Yeah, if the CFL can ever figure out how to stop the calendar from flipping into September, I think they'd be, they'd be able to make it fly. But uh, really, when the thing I, I see is it seems like once you hit September, anybody that's casually paying attention to the game disappears because they, they don't want to go look for it. They have plenty of their own stuff they want to go back to, and that's when that's when the true diehards you can tell who the true diehards are from the people that are still talking about it come September tenth or so. Oh yeah, that's exactly right. And, and going back to, to 1995 when the Barracudas were there, what they tried to do they scheduled some games on Friday, but then when they got to September, so they wouldn't have to compete with college football and high school football. The Barracudas actually played some home games on Sundays, which they thought 
you know, they thought, well, okay, there's no NFL team in Birmingham, so this will help us attendance-wise. But, no, you're right, it didn't. People who, whether it was the Falcons or the Saints or whoever they were watching the NFL, they were going to stay home on Sundays and watch that so they come to Legion Field and, and watch the Barracudas. So, yeah, that that happens. Even even people I know, when the CFL first, first starts up every year, they're, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll watch a couple of games. But then when the NFL and college starts, it's like it never even happened. Didn't you have? Didn't Birmingham have a, a world football league team too? Oh God, yeah, yeah. They <laughs> Which yeah. league have it? Yeah, they I had actually, teams in. I think the NFL is yeah, only actually, one. <laughs> yeah, I've actually written a book, which is, I haven't found a publisher yet, but it's a book about all the tried and failed pro teams in Birmingham. And yeah, their first one was in the World Football League in '74, and then they had a team in the USFL, the World League of American Football, CFL, XFL. So just just about everything that's come along except for the UFL, which came out a few years ago. That's Birmingham's had a team in. Yeah, Jeff Garcia played the UFL. I remember that one. Um, okay, so this kind of ties in. Speaking of Birmingham getting a, a team in every league, Birmingham is getting a team in the AAF, right? This Alliance of right. American Football, which begins play in February. It looks like it's actually going to happen. I am one of the biggest skeptics in the world on this thing because in recent years, I'm, I'm sure you've noticed as well, Scott, um, these leagues that say they're going to happen and never actually even kick off. You wrote some pieces on your website about this as well. Tell us, please, for the show, what do you believe the impact of these AAFs, these XFLs will be on the CFL? Well, you know, when you look at, at the money that they're offering, and of course the, the AAF starts this spring and then the XFL the year after, and it's both pretty similar. I think like the, the XFL is paying $250,000 over three years, and then the AAF is something like you know, 75000 75. So I, I think the, the money that they've got, I think it could make a dent just simply because you're going to have a lot of American players that, are probably thinking, okay, if, if I can get in this spring league and make this kind of money, you know, as soon as that season's over, I can I can jump right into the NFL if I get an opportunity. So, so I think it could have an impact early on. But then again, it gets back to kind of what you were talking about a minute ago. How long are these things going to last? Yeah, yeah, it does look like the AAF is going to get started. Is it going to be here in 2020? And then if the XFL starts in 2020. They're going to be here in 2021 because I just, there's nothing to indicate to me that any of these leagues are going to last. I don't care what they say about all the money they've got behind it and all the research they've done. It's just, it hasn't happened yet, you know, and I just don't know what what they're going to do differently to make these things successful. Whereas, you know, the CFL is there. Certainly, I hope it, (laughs) I hope it remains in business for as long as I remain in business. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, because what it, what's what's your take on the go, go for it, Joe. Go for it. Oh, Joe. I was just gonna say, yeah. What really is the hook of the AAF and the XFL? They're declaring themselves to be basically minor leagues, and besides minor league baseball, which is all over the country but doesn't get doesn't have a lot of national push, it's all localized. Uh, 
what's what would be the attraction to a casual fan besides hey look there's football on my tv uh that's going to keep them coming back after week one because you're always going to get that hey look there's something new let's take a look and then what's the hook though yeah i mean i know for the aaf they're not going to have kickoff you know this kickoff can be completely eliminated so you know each team will start at the 35 yard line and then they have another rule, rule where there are no PATs, it's just a run or a pass for a two-point conversion. So those are the, you know, kind of gimmick things. But there again, you know, what, okay, that's, you know, you can say that's a neat gimmick or you can say it's ridiculous, but the bottom line, the rest of the football, you know, are people going to be interested in watching guys that, that couldn't make NFL rosters or couldn't make CFL rosters play? Now, you know, if it's exciting, I mean, if you're just sitting in front of your television on a spring day and you like football and you happen to catch a game that winds up, you know, 38-35, you know, that's great. But I just don't know how you really get fans invested in it. Because, I mean, you've got the CFL where you've got people who've grown up in fans of Hamilton, Toronto, Edmonton, whatever. Same with the NFL. Now you throw these new, you know, these cities that have had failed, you know, teams in the past, you're presenting it as a minor league, which, like you said, minor league baseball is kind of a different thing entirely. You know, minor league baseball has been around forever and it's worked. Minor league football has really never worked. So I just don't know, like even me personally, who's, as I said, a huge football fan, I, you know, I just don't know, other than the first weekend, if it's going to hook me, if I'm going to watch it and think, wow, this is this is really a viable you know, league and a great product, well, I'm going to give it a chance. I mean, certainly, I hope they make it. I mean, because it's, you know, it's honest work and it's giving jobs to coaches, players, and, and everything else. But I don't know. I, I can't just tell you that I'm all of a sudden going to be a fan of the AAF just because no, it's there and it's spring and it's fall. They're fighting a massive uphill battle and that's this i think it was bob costas i heard him talking about this one time the problem is this aaron judge of the new york yankees has cachet okay aaron judge of the you know wichita blue Sox says nothing you know it's like you said you like football right but you want to watch something that has a background to it right most folks, right. especially most especially, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I know it's true in Texas, but I'm sure in your neck of the woods it's the same. They'd rather watch a high school team. They'd rather watch the local high school game than minor league football, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's the community thing. Again, there's the history. You might remember 20 years ago when, you know, you were the tight end playing in the championship game or whatever. You know, there's something there. And I mean, of course, you know, like I said before, you're from quality college town. Uh, football land, you know? You know, my college team is University of New Mexico. 19 years out of 20, we're terrible. But I'll still watch that game with them before, you know? Again, like uh, Rio Grande Rustlers or whatever. <laughs> they want no, to. I mean, you're exactly, you're exactly right because you have something, as you said, you have something invested, whether it's the community yeah. or the history or something like that. It's and sure, these teams, they have a regional draft, so it's like the, the Birmingham team and the AAF, they're going to have, you know, some Alabama, Auburn, UAB yeah. players. But 
they're going to have those Alabama Auburn UAB players who didn't make the NFL. And if you know, just growing up in Alabama and spending the last twelve years in South Carolina, people are into their college players and they follow their college players when they get to the NFL. They don't follow the college players when they don't get to the NFL. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. so if, you know, if they're playing in a, in a minor league, I'm sure they'll think, "Oh, that's great. I, I wish them well." And if, you know, if Joe Blow winds up you know, going from the Birmingham Iron to the, to the you know, Carolina Panthers, and I'll start paying attention. But as long as they're playing minor league football, yeah, I just, yeah. I mean, again, I hope I'm wrong. And it would be absolutely great. If it worked out because that way, you know, you've got the NFL ends, you've got that starting, and then that ends, you go right into the CFL, and that would be fabulous. But I just don't know if, you know, I just don't see how it's going to last over a couple of years. But by the way, by the way, what's up with that name? Do you like that name? Do you like the Birmingham no. Iron? <laughs> I, I mean, mean the, what's well, what's the mascot? Is going to be that little token from a Monopoly game or what? I mean, like. Well, the iron. This, this is what drives me crazy because I'm kind of a nickname logo goob anyway. The, <laughs> the Birmingham Iron has nothing on their helmet. It's just a black helmet with a silver oh, stripe. I mean, it, <laughs> every other team in the AFF in the AAF has a logo, and some of them look pretty cool looking. And the iron has nothing. I'm thinking, you know, dude, you're coming up with a new. Even the merchandise they sell have like a little. Uh, you know, silver-colored football with a black V in the middle, which, you know, looks okay, but they didn't even put that on their helmet. So, to me, that's a... Wow. That's a bad way to start off walking, you know, <laughs> because I'm looking at it going, you know, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. You're, you're among friends when it comes to uh, loving the uniforms and the helmets and such. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> not having a logo that you're pushing out there. How are you going to even wrap your head around that if you're a new fan? The, well, the only teams you know, that can get away thing. with that, not having it on their helmet, is like Penn State at this point, because they've got a hundred plus years of history. Uh, the Birmingham Iron may have a exactly. hundred days where they And the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. And the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, I mean, you're right. If it's, if it's grandfathered in, you know, and it's just like going back to nicknames. Yeah, you can be a Detroit Lion, even though you don't see Lions in Detroit, and that's fine because that's the way it was. But then when you have the Birmingham Barracudas, when it's 1995 <laughs> and you know that there's no Barracuda within 200 miles of the city, I got a problem. I have to wonder if they yeah, just quick. stumbled onto some random design that the uh, that the uniform maker at the time had, and just like we need to get rid of this. We'll offer it cheap. You want to be the Barracudas? Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I, I actually know the answer to that because I am a goob. The awesome. uh, guy that owned the team, Mark Williams, who used to he also owned the, the Tampa Bay Lightning. He just thought it was a great name, and it is, and I was actually at this press conference. He said we chose this nickname. Because we wanted to quote scare the stink out of the opposition unquote. Oh. And so professional football players are actually going to be frightened <laughs> by the name of, of another team. I mean that just that's when kind of a little red flag went up. I thought, I this is the guy that we need to own the team. So <laughs> being said, I bought all the stuff. You know, I bought that. <laughs> it was my city, my team. So. <laughs> What, what would you have called them, the Barons? You know, I don't really know. It, uh, when they had the WFL, they had the American first year. And second That's year, right. They were the ball. You know, right. um, Live long and prosper. The name, that I, the name I like, which 
I've always been, I think I even mentioned this in a column, I've been pimping this name for years, is Battalion. I just think Birmingham Battalion has a nice room to it. Had they asked me, that's what I would have selected, obviously. They went with Barracudas, which, again, <laughs> I'll never get over that. Uh, I love the disdain. Every time you say it, you have the disdainful tone. It's great. It gets me every time. I, so. I don't really say it. I spit it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, okay, Joe, uh, what else you got? Well, so we've talked about all the reasons why we're not worried about the AAF when it comes to being a CFL fan. But I guess is there... There may be a few players that will leave the CFL to go play back home if they can. Uh, I would say my biggest worry is that, and we'll never find this out for sure, but maybe the AAF grabs a guy that we never heard of before. Could have been a fantastic player in the CFL, but ends up buried on a depth chart somewhere. Do you really see any issue uh, with the if you're a CFL fan when it comes to these new leagues, or is there nothing to Yeah, I mean, I think maybe short term there's a little reason to worry, but but as I mentioned before, I mean, I think I think you're going to get like four or five, six weeks into the season, and people are going to see, you know, if they're looking at the at the stands and there's only six thousand people in Salt Lake City for a game, I think they're going to kind of realize that this isn't going to make it, and I'm thinking most players are going to realize, you know, especially. Now you can go to the CFL and, you know, if you're a hot shot player, you can make a pretty decent living in a great league. And I, I just don't know. I, I just don't believe the AAF or the XFL ultimately is really going to affect the CFL that much. I mean, I think, I think the CFL, if they just gird up the loins, they're going to be able to, to hold off any kind of challenge like that. Yeah, they do have the CBA to get negotiate with the players, but they're finally feels like they're in a position of strength where they may have a little bit of extra money with the TV money coming in to get the players a little bit more uh, in their back pockets, hopefully. Um, well, let's go Let's go to your CFL fandom here. We've been all over the map here, of course, but uh, I, I believe you're a Hamilton Tire Cats fan, right? I am, and it's just simply based on this. I like the black and gold color combination, and I like the name Tiger Cats. I mean, that's what made me a Tiger Cats fan, uh, fan, you know, back in the day. And it was just one of those things where I stuck with it. You know, if you're if you're a kid and you grow up in a town that doesn't have pro football, you just pick a team, and that was yeah, you know, that was be my pick. So, uh, other than 1995 when I cheated on them with a pair of you know, I've stuck with them ever since. Well, no, you be, get to do that. that. That's forgiven. one of the rules of fandom. <laughs> That's one of the rules of fandom. If your hometown gets a team, you get to switch to that team. Well, then that was cool because Birmingham's home opener, they hosted Hamilton. So that was kind of a oh, thrill cool. for me to be able to be at that game and, and cover it. And, and Matt Dunnigan had a big game. Birmingham just rolled them. So it was, it was really cool because that was the night that Birmingham had a good crowd. They had like 40,000 people and the fans were really into it. And, I sort of, you know, lied to myself and convinced myself after that game, okay, this is it. This is going to be the one team in Birmingham that's going to stick. And, you know, 10 years down 
the road. We're going to have a 20-team league. There'll be 10 teams in Canada and 10 teams in the U.S., and we'll all live happily ever after. <laughs> <laughs> that is a fantastic picture. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to ask uh, one thing. I You posited a pretty intriguing uh, um, possibility on your website, you have a piece entitled the CFL and Mexican league form intriguing relationship. Um, I kind of liked your angle on this, but where did you get the details on some of this stuff, man? <laughs> uh, it's just when they had, yeah, when they had the, uh, I guess the, the great cup, uh, great cup week when they had the state of the league address. Right. I just basically watched the video and, you know, CFL president talking about the things they were doing, and he just sort of mentioned that, and I thought, oh, that's kind of neat. So I went into, I went to the website of the actual Mexican league to see what they had to say, and basically it was, it was the same kind of stuff. And yeah, I mean, that's not ever going to be a huge thing, but just, just the fact that I guess maybe there's a million to one shot that you could sort of see the CFL having sort of. Uh, Informal farm system in Mexico. That's just kind of cool, you know. I mean, that that sort of you know completely jumping over the U.S. aspect of it. I mean, we already know that the you know, the American experiment didn't work. But what if you could get sort of a, a feeder system, you know, where you send your Canadian players to Mexico and maybe send some American players to Mexico, and you know, who knows? Maybe they adopt CFL rules, so you have. You know, you have guys coming up in that system. I mean, that's again, a lot of this is just you know fantasy kind of stuff. Speculation, yeah, right. Yeah, because I'm such a goob about it. But I'm thinking, you know, if if things work out, would that not be cool? I mean, just just the fact that they're developing a relationship like that to me is just you know showing some uh, you know some pretty cool uh, forward looking. Know what I'm trying to say? It's just, it's just like they're kind of looking beyond, looking outside the box. Right. They can do to help throw the game. So yeah. I, you know, I like that. I mean, I was out there in Europe when uh, NFL Europe was a was a thing, and you know, it didn't make that huge an impact. But the truth is, you know, there were like a dozen guys who, who made the NFL out of there, and even some European folks. You know, it's just another, it's just, a, I mean, you, you think of the Mexican Football League or whatever, the Mexican-American Football League, I guess you would call it, uh, as one college, you know, and you right. hope to get a couple, three draft picks, you know, every so often from that quote-unquote college. Um, you've been talking, Scott, about what a goob you are, and uh, I got to congratulate on some, on some goobery. Uh, in this piece that I referenced, <laughs> where you mentioned, where you mentioned that, wow, I mean, Joe is going to be impressed if he hasn't read this one. You mentioned, quote, uh, the implementation of a non-player football operations cap. Now, that went completely past me. I didn't know that such a cap was in effect. Uh, you mentioned that. You, you sort of attributed Glanville, uh, Hamilton defensive coordinator Jerry Glanville's departure to this cap, uh, do you see? I mean, I'm really reaching for the goobery here. Uh, do you see this cap affecting other CFL teams? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it could because, you know, I, I guess the whole reason they did that, you know, it was kind of when, you know, the whole collective bargaining thing with the players, you got to free up more money for them right. and they figure, well, you know, the players are the people making our league. It's not, I mean, obviously you got to have great coaches, but, you know, if you look at how many coaches a lot of these CFL teams have, I can sort of see where if they're going to make cutbacks, you know, that's the place they're going to make and you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, this would be something that if it does have a terribly adverse effect, it might be you know three, four years down the road before we find out. But I think it's much more important right now getting back, you know, sort of uh, stepping back what we were talking about with these new leagues, that you make sure the players are taken care of so that the players that you need to keep the CFL viable are still going to be playing in the CFL. Because there are a lot of good coaches out there. And there are a lot of good coaches who, you know, Maybe you've never heard of. I mean, they're going to be three new head coaches in the CFL this coming season. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of I guess a lot of them look at it as sort of a proving ground too. Even though you know me, I, to me CFL is a destination place. I know that's ridiculous for people that are looking for a gazillion dollars as a head coach or as a player. But uh, you know, I think there will always be enough good coaches around to work in the CFL. Whereas you're going to have to be a lot more careful money wise because the players are the most important thing. I mean, that those are the people who are going to be, put people in the seats. And unfortunately, as, as we all know, attendance has kind of been a problem in the CFL for a while. That's some markets. Yeah, there's, a, there's definitely the, the markets that struggle. And I think the idea behind the cap, too, is to make sure those markets that are struggling aren't caught behind markets that are taking off because you can only spend so much on players. So, well, let's go hire that second quality control assistant and have a second set of eyes on things. One team could do that and one team can't. That's where you can start seeing a little bit of your separation from coaching staff. It's just more eyes on the right. product, more people hands-on. So I feel like it's actually going to help balance uh, as much as it seems odd to take coaches away and think that things are going to be more No, I, I agree with you too. And I, you know, and one thing that excites me is the whole possibility of the Atlantic Scooters becoming an actual thing and finally getting a team league and finally being coast to coast. And that would just, to me, that just changes the whole dynamic of everything. I mean, I, you know, again, not being Canadian, I can't speak to it knowledgeably, but just being a guy who loves the league so much, that just seems like that's such a huge piece of the puzzle, especially going forward. Yeah, that's the next natural step in the evolution from everything I can see. Well, I hope it happens. I mean, you know, if it were up to be, you know, every every viable city in, in Canada would have a team the league <laughs> keep growing and it would just become you know, even bigger than, than it already is. But it's just, I think people really miss out. Because I, I know my dad, for example, he never could get beyond the three down. He just, that, you know, he just couldn't deal with that. He, you know, he'd always tell me, oh, you know, I'd like this okay, but oh, three downs just isn't enough. But to me, that's what was so great because there's that sense of urgency. You know, there's no plunge into the line on first down to test the defense. You, you can't do that in the CFL. I mean, you better make something happen on first down because you've only got, you know, two downs to get 10 yards, basically. 
I mean, that's, that, that was the thing, I think, that was the big selling point to me out of the gate. This is great. These guys, they got this big feel. They got to throw. I, you know, and I just love wide open football. And that, yeah. you know, when the CFL's done right, it is wide open football. Yep, and then even if you do get stuck, you've still got a chance to make that second 15 because you have that wide open field. You have the extra guy on the field. You have more targets. You got more space to throw that ball. Uh, every play matters, whereas I don't feel like that's the same thing uh, down south. No, I, I agree completely. And another thing, being one of these people who's you know, vertically challenged, it's kind of neat to see a league where there is a place for smaller players. I mean, you don't you don't necessarily have to be a pituitary freak to play in the CFL. You know, mm-hmm. there is room for guys that, that that look more like guys you see at the grocery store. You know, <laughs> it might actually be a disadvantage <laughs> to get to get that big because you, you still got to have the agility and the speed to cover your ground. Exactly. I mean, you know, sixty-five yard wide field. That's, you know. <laughs> That needs a lot of ground to cover for a, for a lineman. No, because standing on that sideline uh, when I was up at Badger Bowl in like 2017, we got the sideline passes. And it's a little bit, yeah, you could you could definitely tell the difference just standing there going, yeah, that's a bit further than I'm used to seeing when I stand on the sideline somewhere. Well, it's just that that's one of my bucket list things. I mean, I, I saw obviously several. CFL games in Birmingham, but I would like to actually go to Canada, go to some of the cool stadiums there and just, you know, kind of experience that. I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've seen every level of pro football in this country, but just to go north of the border and experience it, I mean, that's, I know a lot of people might have cooler things on their bucket list, but to me, a great cop is, is right now. Wow. It doesn't get much cooler than, uh, you know, Canada in December or November, man. That's. Yeah. I was. I was just gonna say, you know, dress warmly. Dress warmly. Your people uh, have have some problems up there. Joe Joe ran into a guy that we uh, that we have on the podcast from time to time from the south, and that was that was half the words out of his mouth. Is damn, it's cold up here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> according is, is, according to is Joe. This, is this Ron? Is this Ron Montgomery you're talking about? Uh, that was Ron's buddy from South Carolina. Yeah. I bumped into Ron at the Great yeah. Cup this year. Yeah, Ron, I mean, you know, I, uh, he and I are friends. And I, yeah, I just envy him because I guess he's been to pretty much every stadium up there. But, yeah, he, he's always said, you know, you got to make it up there. But, my God, if you go, you've got to Dress more, but go to Great Cup. I mean, if you got to wait till it's in Vancouver, wait till it's in Vancouver, but go to Great Cup because not only do you get the experience of the game, but you get the experience of the community. And that's something that yeah. I, I live in a place that loves its football, but it doesn't have that sense of community that the CFL fandom does. And going to a Great Cup is uh, probably the best events I've ever been to. And I'm 20 minutes from a Division One college football stadium. I'd rather go up there because of the because of the sense of community. Well, and that's you know, and, and again, I'm I'm on the outside looking in, but it just does seem like everything in the CFL is just so much more fan friendly. You know, the the players, the coaches, the the attitudes, everything, and it's like they truly do want to make you a part of, it, or they or rather they welcome you 
you know, becoming a part of it. And, you know, here, even in the, you know, NFL and college football, everything is so standoffish and, and everything. And that, to me, that's very appealing. You know, the, the whole human element of the league, you know, aside from just being a cool league with, with neat rules, I mean, to have people that seem actually interested in you as a fan, that's kind of a lost art. Yeah, they haven't lost, I will tell you that much. That's interesting, a lost art. I'm not sure it was ever there to begin with. Um, well, true, yeah. In, in, in American sport, I mean, phew. It's like there's been a glass wall around these players for 120 years. Can't you can look, but you can't touch. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. It, yeah, you you have to worship from afar. Yeah. How about it? Yeah. Uh, in any case, hey Scott, thanks very much for being on the show. We'll get you out of here, but uh, let's do the traditional closer we like to do with guests from our show. Um, I think we've already gotten an insight into some of your fandom, but. Tell us, uh, especially you as a veteran sports writer, what would you consider your three favorite professional sports teams? My three favorite professional sports teams, okay, that would be uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats. Okay. All right. Uh, New York Jets. Because I, I grew really? Up in wow. Well, again, being an old guy, I fell in love with the AFL around 1967, became a Jets fan. So wow. been a Jets fan ever ever since. And, of course, that's pretty much sucked since 1968. Right. Um, <laughs> you got on just in time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I got on board and should have gotten off really quickly. Right. And, and I guess probably third would be the New York Rangers. I'm also a big, ah. big hockey guy. So, uh so those would be my three. I, I guess it's kind of odd to have two two New York teams and a Hamilton team there at the top, but I do love the CFL. I'm not lying about that. So that's, they would, they would. So you don't really buy the whole uh, hockey below the Mason-Dixon line kind of thing? Well, you know, that's another thing. The, the World Hockey Association had a franchise in Birmingham for three years. Uh-huh. And there again, that was, kind of, that was kind of my introduction to the game there. But, and even after they folded, I just I stayed with it because it was uh, – that was a great game to go see in person. Uh, I said it's a wonderful sport to be at the arena. And yeah. it was, I got hooked on it, you know. So, um, you know, I, I just love, you know, here in, the, I mean, Greenville, South Carolina right now, the CHL team, and that's, that's fine. You know, oh, right. Really hockey and it's 4 too. But I really miss the fact that the Thrashers moved to Winnipeg because even though I was a Rangers fan, I was still, you know, going to see NHL hockey with someone driving distance. So that was, that was kind of sad when they moved. But, you know, hockey in Atlanta just yeah, <laughs> never going to be anywhere. It's going to work. What's your uh, What's your college football team? Uh, I'm a graduate from uh, UAB, University of Alabama at Birmingham. So oh, okay. I'm actually a, a UAB guy. Most people that find out from Alabama are either Alabama or all. Yeah, I'm for neither. I'm for UAB, and then sort of get a blank stare. And yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Okay, great. Hey, uh, Scott, where can people find you? Where would you like people to go to find your stuff? And by the way, I, I got to say this, dude. Please plug your Twitter account because you're a great Twitter follower. You got some funny stuff. Oh, thank there. you. I, I enjoy thank your Twitter you feed. Much. But please, where can the folks yeah, find just, you? Yeah, it's just at Adamson SL on Twitter. Just Scott Adamson, and then it's AdamsonMedia.com is the website. All right, Scott Adamson. 
Thank you very much for joining us on the Bruce Wayne Blue CFL podcast. Hey, anytime at all. I, like I said, I absolutely love talking to CFL to, to people other than my dog. So this has been great. <laughs> <laughs> must have been Ron, uh, because I believe I started following Scott somewhere in June or July, and uh, just followed him throughout the season. As soon as I, as soon as I had followed him, though, and started reading some of his stuff, I knew he'd be a fantastic guy to have on the show. I know we don't usually do guests that um, we can expand on different topics on during the season, because we go on enough as it is. So he was uh, definitely on my <laughs> list of guys to ping as soon as our season was over. As soon as the season was over, we got through the recap of the season, we got through just finishing off, and it's like, oh, here, this is the perfect time. Let's go ahead and have an hour with Scott, and hopefully we have a few more of those coming up sometime soon. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, this was a podcast designed to go off the rails, but that's fine because there are no rails. We are far from June. We are far from everything, it seems like. I mean, we're far from a CBA. We're far from the draft. We're far from just about everything. In any case, how far are we from the next Rouge White and Blue? Are we going to do this again in two weeks? Uh, probably two weeks if everything uh, goes to plan. Okay, great. And if everything goes according to Dr. Rouge's plan. For our co-host in absentia, Dr. Rouge, and for Joe Pritchard, I'm Austin Davis. This has been the Rouge White and Blue CFL Podcast. One more time, hey, have a happy 2019, and we'll talk to you sometime this month. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.